Hello, I'm Reggie Yates, and welcome to The Road Less Travel, an original podcast series created by Bellstar. Stories are only interesting because they're diverse, and when stories have been told from one perspective for too long, it's like you, you want the rest of the perspectives because that's the only way that it will stay diverse and interesting and exciting. In this podcast, I talk to successful people in the public eye about risk-taking, confounding expectations and the choices they've made which have led them to the place they are today. My guest today is an actor not defined by their choices, but celebrated for the challenge that creative decisions present. My guest today is Holiday Granger. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, we just had our first sort of, I, I don't want to call it an interaction, I want to call it an altercation. I'd uh, say meeting. Meeting, uh, meeting softer. Greeting. Uh, we were, well, I was heading to the loo. You were heading to and the I loo. And I costed you. And you accosted me with a police-like Reggie. <laughs> and I turned around full of fear. Full of fear. The cool thing about that... was that, me trying to be nice. <laughs> and like, 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 Reggie, hi! That's the Manchester in you coming out. And the way Reggie. I turned around was the London and me like, who's that? <laughs> anyway, um, we have met before. Yeah, we have met before. I don't know when, but it was a long, long time ago. And I think we just did a handshake. It was just like a hi. That was and I was right. just like, oh, that's Reggie Hicks. Wow. That's... <laughs> That definitely didn't happen, the wow part. The, the, the wow part happened for me this morning when I was just going over your IMDb one last time. Yeah. And I found myself stopping and being in complete awe because you worked with someone who I worked with donkeys ago, and that's yeah. Alice Connor. Yes. Lovely yeah. Alice Connor um, was one of the younger cast members on a drama that I did when I was a teenager called You Get Me. You Get Me. Uh, well, you and Alice worked together on a, a film that I watched, a TV film. Mm. Uh, was it a series, in fact? It was a Jacqueline Wilson uh, book, wasn't it, originally? The it, Illustrated Illustrated Mum, that's yeah. right. And um, I literally remember watching it thinking, how on earth was this written? And how on earth are they allowing kids to be in this? Because yeah. it was difficult stuff, right? It was. It was. That was one of those parts that, even though I think I was I was 14 when I got that, and it was the most excited I'd been. It was the first time that I was just like, oh my gosh, I get to act. Yeah. Like, I get to be doing what it is that I think I'm starting to want to do. Yeah. Um, not just be on a film set, but like, get into it. Mm. I still remember where I was when I found out I'd got that part. <laughs> you know, that's how I sort of yeah. in, like seminal it felt. And, and how did you celebrate the, uh, the part or getting the part? I think I went, I was actually doing my work experience at the time in the Lake District. So I just like, I cleaned some toilets, I think. <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. Uh, well, Michelle Collins in The Illustrated Mum, and I'm sure you've not spoken about this for years, but it's fascinating no. to me because yeah. it's so early in your career. Uh, she was an alcoholic mother to mm. two young girls, one of which was Alice, who we've spoken yeah. about, and the other was you. Uh, to be dealing with those themes at such a young age must have made an impression on you. Well, I think... When you're younger, you sort of, the world is the world and all themes, you don't necessarily think this is a difficult theme. This mm. is just like, this is just an aspect of life that right. you've heard about, know about. And I think even then you can like draw on bits of your own life, bits of friends' lives and bits of things that you've, you know, watched and mm. heard and read and whatever. Yeah. Um, well, how much of an impact do you think that performance from Michelle Collins maybe had on 14-year-old you? Oh, yeah. I mean, she, and she, but just her as a person, she was just so lovely and inclusive. And I think it was that felt very collaborative on that set. Yes. I mean, I know everyone always says that about everything, but it did. <laughs> and it, um, that becomes important because it shapes what 
you realise that it is that you want to do. Absolutely. And so it's like doing that as like, I think I, I like acting for acting's sake. I want to work with people that I respect and, yeah. and can learn from. Mm. Well, we've already spoken a ton about something you did as a teenager, but that wasn't the first thing that you did as an actor. No. So no. how did acting find you and, and how old were you when it all started? Well, I was... Believe I think it was like five or six when what? I did my first Jeez, you beat me. job in inverted commas. Yeah. But and it was sort of fluke. I mean, I think if I hadn't gotten that first audition, God knows what I'd be doing now. <laughs> it was like my a friend of my mum's worked for the BBC and he knew a casting director that was casting a TV series and they needed a little girl that like, you know, looked like the adults, you know, like looked like the parents. And so I went to that audition and I actually had chicken pox just before the audition, so I had my mum had been like entertaining me at home by like talking about the story and the scripts, and I'd actually done paintings and right. taken them into the audition. So I mean, how could they not give me the part? <laughs> this little Sweet. five-year-old rocks up with painted scenes. You know, how'd you say no to the five-year-old who's painted you something? That's incredible. <gasps> yeah, that's a smart move. Uh, yeah. Um, so at that age, did you realise it was something that you might want to do more of, or was it just a fun day at, that that wasn't school? <laughs> It was, I just remember loving being on film sets. I think I just loved being around adults yes. <laughs> and and feeling like not other, mm. um, you know, and hanging around. Like My mum would chaperone me, so I'd be like hanging around in the hotel bar with everyone afterwards, feeling <laughs> like I was <laughs> yeah. feeling really mature. Yeah. And I liked that little bit of self away from school. You know, I loved being on film sets and that whole experience. And it wasn't until later that I realised that I actually loved acting. Right. It's funny because whenever anyone talks about the BBC, uh, particularly in that era, we're talking about the the 90s, Mm. you think about London, but you're not actually from London. No, Manchester. Right. And it's interesting because I I knew that obviously coming into the room and I thought, I'm going to listen to see if I hear any Manchester accent creeping through. Have you? Occasionally. It's really interesting because whenever you speak to actors who play roles that are from all over the world or if they do a lot of RP work or, you know, if they do a lot of London accents or Irish accents or something, their accent just ends up becoming this weird middle ground of everything. Yeah. But I can definitely hear bits of Manchester in there. Good, because I don't want to lose it. It right. just sort of goes. I always really respect people that manage to hold on. Like Jodie Whittaker still has hers. Yes. And I'm always like, whenever I, I hear her, I'm just like, oh, go on. Like, I love that. And I'm, I feel like I'd, whenever people say, oh, you don't sound like you're from Manchester, I'm like, damn, I'm <laughs> somehow doing my past a disservice. I don't know, even yeah. though it's not, you know, well, not at, just. at what age did you find yourself spending hours practicing your RP because you spent so many years yeah. in costume doing costume dramas that demanded a very different demeanour yeah. and accent. Well, I think I was quite well-spoken when I was a kid. Mm. And then you go to high school. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I think it's like a legal requirement to sound as, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as like urban as you can when you go to high school. So then I remember it was like I was sort of mid-teens. I auditioned for The Archers and I found it really hard to do RP and that was the first because when I was a kid I just accents were just easy Mm. I don't know it's like an innate skill you have as a child or some kids have I could do all different types of northern accents and then I sort of all of a sudden I kind of lost it and that was when I had to start to learn Penny Dyer the voice coach had these accent tapes but I remember getting her RP her general American and her cockney that's how I started learning accents did she have an African and a West Indian tape as well because (laughs) I need those tapes for the car no well next time I see her I'll tell her (laughs) that she should do them she should do some the assumption would be that you chose 
to go down the period drama path. It was almost back to back. I mean, we're talking about Jane Eyre and Bellamy oh, and lots absolutely. of other stuff. Was it a choice? Do, I don't know that it was just for so long, but yeah. definitely was a choice to go into that. Like, I was fascinated with like 19th century literature, like Jane Austen and the Brontes that got me into mm. feeling like to studying literature. And then I ended up going to, I started at Leeds studying English. Right. I was doing a module in the 19th century novel when all these auditions kept coming in. So I was, you know, I was reading Charles Dickens when I went up for Great Expectations, you know, and I'd read Anna Karenina and I'd, and so I think I'd sort of was immersed in that world. Mm. So it was this great sort of life imitating art, kind yes. of this whole thing going on in my life. And then when those doors opened, I like just dove straight in head yeah. first. And I think as well, at the time, it felt like they were the best scripts that I was reading, the most interesting nuanced parts for women because I think there was you know a lot of novels at that time were written for women so there was a lot of strong female protagonists Mm. there was a lot to kind of sink your teeth into the sort of choices were harder then for women you know in the 19th century there was there was less choice and so there's sort of like the small choices become huge Mm. and can represent something bigger and I think I it was conscious that I wanted to go into that. And then after a few years, I was like, get, get me this it off! Get me get out! <laughs> well, I was trying to understand what the draw was because yeah. the assumption would be for somebody who doesn't watch a lot of costume drama that yeah. those roles can be quite similar. Yeah. Whereas from what you're saying, that 100% isn't the case. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you know, like, Stella and Great Expectations, she's kind of like cold and calculated and really messed up mm. uh, and also I mean I played Lucrezia Borgia in, which is a completely different time it's like renaissance right. and that was a completely different time for women that was pre the Victorian restrictions and so when she took on a lot of demanding roles uh, I mean she was acting Pope for a bit Lucrezia Borgia oh. um, and you know that was allowed yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, right. but yeah Lucrezia Borgia was that was like a gift of yeah. the part. Well, the complicated woman seems to be the role that you're continuously drawn to. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Or nuanced. Nuanced. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd, I'd say complicated because yeah. it's hard to sort of put some of the characters that I've seen you play in a box. Yeah, yeah. Which I love about people on screen. And to see you do that continuously in period work mm. is interesting because you seem to be doing the same thing now in modern and also you know we're talking about the 50s and in some some yeah. of the work that you've done and, and also very contemporary stuff as well yeah um that challenge uh how much of a draw is that for you do you think that you're ever going to be one of those actors that just wants an easy gig that just wants a will ferrell movie <laughs> <laughs> i actually think that'd be harder for me though right. i think comedy would i think comedy is quite difficult um yeah I love seeing people's vulnerabilities and I think that's an interesting thing to dive into, particularly when you've got like a character that's on the surface is quite inadvertently commas strong or they're like hedonistic or they're going like full force at life, but underneath is like they're hiding a lot of vulnerabilities and it's that kind of finding that duality that I always think is very interesting. Absolutely. Well, maybe it's just that it means that you can be really lazy because you never have to make strong choices because you can bounce from one to the other in a scene and back again yeah. and it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. How much of your own <laughs> vulnerabilities do you bring to the work that you commit to? Well, I think, you know, as much as you can do research and learn about other people, it's always a sense of yourself that you kind of bulk out a character with. And so even if you don't want it, you kind of have to tap into... Mm emotions and vulnerabilities yeah. of yourself, for sure. Yeah, well, adversity has played a huge part in the decisions that I've made over the years. Um, becoming the person that I am has 
for better or for worse, happened on camera you mm. know, because I started so young. But as somebody who started out as an actor but then pivoted to presenting where you're yeah, literally yeah. being yourself on camera yeah. and then going into factual work where you're not only asked to be yourself but you're also asked to voice your opinion. Yeah, The public get to know you in a way that they just don't when it comes to actors as mm-hmm. you're playing other people. Yeah. Um, how important is it to you that who you are is reflected in the work that you choose? I don't think it's a conscious thing. I don't feel like that is what I think of when I'm choosing work. Right. Um, I don't really think about how I appear or am represented. It's more like, <laughs> it's more for myself, really. It's right. like, what is it that I want to dive into now? Hmm. There's always a sense when you take on a character, you sort of like try on their coat for a bit. And so if you're playing someone headstrong and confident, I think that infects you. So you feel headstrong and confident when you're doing it. And quite often when you're playing someone vulnerable or shy or meek or something, and you you end up tapping into that side of yourself. And that can affect how you feel as a person while you're doing it. Yeah. Have any of the parts that you've played ever left a a mark on you in some way? Um, All of the characters stay with you. There's always aspects of them that I kind of that I love. And there's bits that, you know, I'd like to take away. (laughs) See, I I had to ask because you uh, made a drama that touched on something that massively shaped me uh, in a lot of ways. So Home, uh, the short film uh, that you made with Jack O'Connell, who is an actor that I adore. Yeah, I think he's 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 incredible. It was about the refugee crisis. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about it. Uh, Yeah, it was a beautiful script. But I mean, that Home was an example of, it's not always just the character that comes with you it's the experience of making something it's like each job becomes a completely different experience you meet new people you go to a new place and it's like that's always going to come with you in life so what was it about um, this film about refugees that yeah the sort of concept of home was that it was a reverse journey a reverse refugee journey basically so you start off with a sort of like relatively well off sort of like middle class british couple and their kids and they go on the journey they get trafficked through um, into another country and they have horrendous experiences on along the way as they're trying to find safety in a refugee camp. And we filmed in Kosovo, which is just like so incredibly war-torn and a lot of the crew had experienced the war because uh, it was just such recent history. Yeah. And we were filming in this village that had been abandoned and so all the houses in the village still had... That like nothing had been touched, so they were still had people's possessions in. They'd literally was, just left. They'd just left, up to left. It was devastating, but there was such a kind of sense of camaraderie on that. I think even more so because I think everyone knew that they were telling a important story. It did feel it felt very poignant. Yeah, and I think it's a beautiful <clears throat> film. It was just a way of saying people don't go on this journey for no reason. What is it that draws you to the characters that you do choose? Is it a chance to potentially disappear into the character that you're about to play? Mm. Or is it a chance to maybe redefine what that character might be in the eyes of the audience? I think it's different depending on the space I'm in at the time and what I've just done. So I always feel like I want to do something a bit different to Mm. what I've just done. And it is that thing of like, oh, whose coat do I want to wear today? I love auditions and I... I really like meeting people. Often it's not until I'm actually reading and learning something that I know if I can really tap into this character and get excited about them. Mm. When I find myself 
getting lost in the playing of a scene as I'm reading a script, then I know it's something I should probably do. Yeah. Well, uh, looking at your career and what it is that you've done, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that at any point in your career, you would say yes to Tell It to the Bees. Yeah. Um, as, you know, I, I've not seen the film yet, but just reading at length about it, I, I can't wait to see it because of the story that it is you're telling. You know, we're talking about 1950s Britain. Yeah. We're talking about a same-sex relationship and how a community, a very small community, react to that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because it is a period piece but the themes are so contemporary. Yeah. What was the draw on that? Well, it's just a beautiful story, a beautiful story of friendship and love. Yes. And it's these two women that were from such different backgrounds. The film takes place in like 1950s Milltown, Scotland, and there's this doctor that's come back to the town and a young woman from Manchester who's kind of moved up and they're both very other and they find safety and security in each other. It's their relationship and friendship blossoms. It's like they uh, they give each other the strength to become themselves. I love the story because it's not like the, the traditional happy ending. Like, they don't end up together. But it's also not the sort of, you know, you read so many tales of adversity and kind of same-sex relationships that end in, like, tears and disaster as mm. though it's like... And it's sort of, I feel like they're being punished for the love that they've had. Mm. And I love this script because it didn't do that. They didn't end up together, but it was because they gave each other the bravery and the courage to be themselves. I kind of hadn't really read that kind of story yeah. before. I imagine you and uh, Anne, who you played opposite in the film, yeah. must have had a hell of a lot in common and a hell of a lot to talk about because she started out as an incredibly successful child yeah. actor. Because, yeah. you know, you started as a child actor yourself and, and so did I. Mm. And I was terrible as a kid, <laughs> as an actor. I was no, you were. Oh yes, I was. I was. I was terrible. I go back and rewatch any of it. It's awful. Well, I will do. Oh now. shit! Don't I mean, do that. No, because no, I, I remember watching you as a kid, thinking you were great. Well, that's very kind of you, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I obviously had awful taste. <laughs> exactly. And on the other hand, uh, was an Oscar winner before yeah, she yeah, was yeah. even a teenager. Yeah. Um, were you not chewing her ear off about that experience being so young? Quite often when I meet people that were child actors, I feel like there's a there's a sense of camaraderie and a kind of like there's something that we get with each other. It's also like a different way of looking at the yeah. business, maybe. Yeah. It's also like, you you know all the bullshit, you know the... And it's also that kind of there's a bit of an inherent experience that I don't think you, one gives oneself credit for yes. having been in the business for so long. It's like you kind of... There's a lot of skills around that you know that yeah. you've kind of picked up on. Um, we've spoken so much about choices and journey in this conversation. And um, I feel incredibly privileged because literally later today, mm. um, I get to play quite a pivotal role in the journey of three young actors' career. Um, I'm making my first feature film at the moment. Which Are is really you? I am. Oh, yeah, that is so exciting. Very exciting. As a writer-director. Wow. And I'm actually taking them away for the weekend to sort of allow them to bond in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, great. And the reason that I'm motivated yeah. to do that is because no one ever did that with me. Really? As a young actor. Okay. Yeah, and uh, is telling stories a part of your future and is helping younger actors and young women who maybe are scared to make some of the choices that you have, is that part of your future? Sure. Or part of your present, maybe? Well, definitely. I think it's, uh, I think it's almost your duty to yes. like pass it on and you know what you're doing this weekend that's going to stay with them forever right any little nuggets of advice that I, there were nuggets of advice i remember being given at you know age seven and they've like some just stick with you mm. and they do and i think it's important to 
nurture that. Going back to this idea of telling a story that you need to tell, uh, certainly felt the case when I saw good, healthy chunks of animals. Oh, yeah. And that, to me, looked like you guys were having the most fun. Felt like it wasn't even scripted because you just looked like a pair of friends having a wicked time on camera. I'm so glad that you feel like it was all scripted because like Emma's dialogue is just so beautiful. And the book is set in Manchester. Great. And so when I read it, I was like, I know these women. I am them. They are my friends. And I mean, they're fabulous, but they're also like grim and dirty and they make questionable choices but that is life and I was just like I want I need to do this I need to tell the story well it's incredibly contemporary and it feels real in a lot of ways and to be able to present that version of uh, the female experience is important particularly as you know a young man watching I'm sort of like wow that's that's what happens when I'm not in the room (laughs) that's incredible yeah well I think there is a massive shift at the moment in that you know a lot of the time you kind of you don't see the women relating to women on screen and that kind of women's experience that isn't necessarily like about men or about family or about and I and <laughs> I think sometimes that filmmaking is like a, is like a little bit behind yeah. <laughs> and now now I think the doors have been opened and now it's like oh we can tell all these stories that we all know and that we all have and that we've all experienced and now we can put them on screen uh, yeah, well, so it we, feels quite exciting. That is, and it is. Exciting time. It's definitely an exciting time. I've spoken uh, before on this show about diversity, not just being about race, which I feel is a mistake that a lot of people make. It's mm. about diversity of stories yeah. and the diversity of perspective, which I think is incredibly important. And I could sit here and talk all day about inclusion riders and where that's leading and yeah, what's yeah. coming off that as a result. But uh, as we're running out of time, before we round up, I'm, I'm just really interested to hear... What your take on this new place that we find ourselves in as an industry of filmmakers and storytellers mm. when inclusion rider is something that no one knew about before that incredible speech from Francis McDormand yeah. um, versus now when people like Michael B. Jordan are changing everybody from the crew and the people behind the camera to the amount of people involved uh, on screen. Um, what does that mean for you and this moment as a, as a performer yourself? Well, I think it's, it's exciting and necessary. Stories are only interesting because they're diverse. And when stories have been told from one perspective for too long, it's like you, you want the rest of the perspectives because yeah. that's the only way that it can will stay diverse and interesting and exciting for... Yeah. Everyone, yeah, God, everyone. <laughs> but it is. Yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it, to kind of it talk really about this? Speechifying, no, but, no. but it is. I mean, you can get off your soapbox if you want. <laughs> no, it's it's difficult to speak about this without feeling like a bit of a numpty because for so long we sort of rolled our eyes at people that want to fight for everybody's rights and so on and so forth. But at this point in time, we all play a part in actually speaking for not just ourselves but for each other. Yeah. And if you have a platform, it's an amazing thing to make the most of it. And um. Yeah, we kind of got to shake that weird British thing that we have of like, well, I don't want to be the one that says this and this. <laughs> because it is quite a cultural thing, particularly But then if everyone's here. saying it, and then, then you're not the one. Exactly. Like you're just and being part of the wider conversation. It makes it a little easier. And I think yeah. we, all, we all should be doing it. And thankfully we are. Even yeah, this conversation yeah. is a part of it. Um, okay, look, before I let you go, I have to ask. Go on. What are you listening to? And or oh. what, are the, what is the music that actually matters to you? Do you have any like memories associated with songs that you probably wouldn't openly admit? So, so what are the songs? What are the ones for you that actually really mean? That the mean most? a lot? Yeah. There's certain albums that always come that you always come back to. Yes. And that always have their little 
their little period. <laughs> like Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pole. Did I hear they're doing a musical version of no, that? No, no way. Am I, am I, I don't know. But if it is happening, but, but, but I don't I, think I'll go to see it. If it's not, <laughs> when then someone should like, I feel like, but, Why is that album so special? I should, it's just one of them that like I remembered dancing to as a kid and then I remembered being the sort of like the theme tune of my teenage angst and then you come to it later in life and you'll just realise it's just a brilliant album. Yeah. Um, but then there's also like Elbow I always come back to. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. Seen Kid. Yeah, nice. That's one of the Manchester albums I actually listen to in Manchester. Mm. I was about to say, you're really from Manchester going for Elbow so early in this list. Like I, I, I had a really awkward conversation recently where I, I wrote this thing that included as a joke uh, uh-huh. Lifted by the Lighthouse Family and everyone. <gasps> really so- Love it, I, but- Lighthouse Family. No, oh honestly, God, no. no, no, no. I'm not. You're joking. one of them. No, but I had a little Lighthouse Family resurgence over the summer. Oh I was in, like, I was in LA and it was, I'm waking up every morning really sunny and I kept putting on. Um- <laughs> Is that because the sun really did shine on everything yeah, that you do? Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Okay, uh, can you just promise me you'll never admit that out loud to anybody else ever? Good. Uh, But what I will ask, just to to round this out, is uh, can you define the journey that you've been on? How would you put it into words, the road that you've travelled? Oh, I mean, I'm still on it. It's hard to reflect on something that you're still on. Okay, caveat so far. Um, Oh, God, I'm going to sound like a speechifying cliche quote now, but I think it's about taking every opportunity that you're given but staying true to yourself. Go with your gut. I think I've always done that. There, there is so much to talk about and your career is incredible and so varied and um, long may it continue. Thank you so much Thanks, for joining Reggie. us. Pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to The Road Less Travelled, brought to you by Bellstar. Bellstar.